You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. All right. So first things first, am I being detained? No. (laughs) Okay. Well, that was easy enough. I feel great now. Welcome to Voluntary Vixens, where Jesse and Maddie give a female voice to news and pop culture with a libertarian twist. Join us to stay informed and challenged while keeping it sane, peaceful, and most importantly, voluntary. Well, welcome back to Voluntary Vixens. We have royalty in the house with us tonight. (laughs) Queen of the memes. Yep. The Empress herself. Hello. You've seen her. If hopefully on Instagram at Empress of Meme, um, you know she pops up on our story sometimes. If you follow us there, she's got the. I can't wait to pick your brain a little bit. Like, where do you come up with some of this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> like the memes, or yeah. Well, I guess like okay. So you want to go ahead and sort of introduce yourself a little, and like what you do, and just I don't know how you got started, how long you've been. Slaying memes. <laughs> um, well, I'm Empress of Meme. I post like meme templates and for people to like make memes. And sometimes I make memes and I complain about the police a lot. <laughs> um, I didn't start, <laughs> I didn't really start like even making memes or even really know how until like this past December, like just about a year ago. I would make them and send them to Sal the Agorist and we would talk about them and all kinds of stuff. And he's like always pushing me to like make an account. And finally we had like a couple of meme templates that we made go viral. And I was like, okay, I guess I could do that. And then just like post them. I didn't really think my account would go very far, but I was wrong. (laughs) Apparently people like meme templates. Um, I'd say the, The memes, like, I first started making were very, like, they were just for, like, one group chat, like, very specific to my friends. And then eventually I moved on to, like, more political memes. Okay. I'm a big fan. Big fan (laughs) of all. Yeah. I think um, it's funny. Shout out to Adam Graham from our MLGA group. Um, But he's one of our (laughs) online friends that we've never met in real life. But actually, he's not too far away from you, Jesse. But um, I think it was him, and he was talking about, and we troll him for it now all the time, but um, he was like, I don't really understand this, like, internet culture. (laughs) And I'm probably misquoting him, but I think, and this is, I'll totally speak for myself here, but, you know, I think one of the only things that kept me sane throughout the past few years has been memes and good humor on the internet, because Lord knows, everybody's on TV, screaming in the streets, screaming, and not even, you know, like, not even for things that we'd maybe want or advocate for them to scream about, like, let's pay attention to big picture things, but, um, thank God for memes. Absolutely. They change narratives, and I'm, I just love them. (laughs) They recruit a lot of people, too. Like, a lot of people, um, when I used to, be more active on Twitter, I did like a poll. I asked people like why they're libertarian and like the fourth or fifth most common answer was memes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, it was, it was like Ron Paul, Dave Smith, 
um, <laughs> their first paycheck and memes. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that sounds like a really good top four. Yeah. Oh, and Tom Woods was um, like, I think. Oh, number yeah, five. that's <laughs> probably the only thing missing from that top five. <laughs> yeah, but I thought I, that was pretty cool. <laughs> I think that is pretty cool. I think um, it's pretty neat how. I don't know. It's just really cool how you can hit, take a visual and uh, get something across to people and just like a picture and just a few words, but it can be something very powerful. Oh, it's wonderful. Like, so like Murray Rothbard, he like wrote books and then like Tom Woods, he does podcasts talking about Murray Rothbard's books. It's like, mm-hmm. and then the next generation, we put like five words on a picture and it summarizes everything in like a chapter of one of those books it's amazing (laughs) that's a really good way to think about it and um like yeah so okay that makes me think about a few things i guess (laughs) so like who are your kind of who were who was your gateway drug who was your like look here behind the curtain oh i was well first um like i don't know if you guys remember in 2011 like Kelly Thomas, or yeah, Kelly Thomas being murdered by police, and he, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be bad that I don't remember this. It was see, just in California, and like six cops just like beat him to death, and like the whole time he's like crying for his dad. Like Jesus, I uh, I was like kind of apolitical at that time, just like homeless, I guess. And uh, when that happened, it was like really sad. It like shook my world. So I got on Twitter and I kind of searched for people who were talking about it. Some of them were liberals and most of them were libertarians. And one day I, I can't remember exactly what I tweeted, but I said the words our government and in typical libertarian fashion, somebody like reached out and they were like, it's not our government. And he eventually suggested that I look up Ron Paul and listen to him in the debates. So I looked him up and I just saw his like his, some of his replies in the debates. And I just thought, man, this guy's amazing. And started just reading, you know, like everybody does, watching all of his videos, reading all of his books and just completely obsessing about him. Um, And then from there, it was like Lysander Spooner and then just various works on Mises. Yeah. It's pretty much the same story for everybody, probably like around my age. (laughs) Yeah, you and I might be around the same age. Um. I graduated high school 2008. Same. Oh, wow. Okay, we are the same age. Then, yeah. So, um, back in 2011, I was, I've always been registered independent, but um, I was definitely more Republican-leading. But, of course, that's kind of just, I knew the left was wrong. And then, now I've come to figure out and see why, why and how bad the right is on their issues. And so, I think, like, your... One of your bigger issues, like, is um, police brutality, mm-hmm. and uh, y- your profile says you're a prison abolitionist, which I've actually mm-hmm. never seen written out anywhere else by <laughs> anyone else, and so I kind of want to talk to you about that, too. Perfect. <laughs> um, that was... Bingo. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it was kind of just, like, the same with libertarianism to just becoming like anarchist, you start to like, oh, well, we should, you know, reform this and fix that. And then you're like, well, no, because it's been tried before. 
um, so it's like not going to work with government. It's basically the same thing applied to the prison system. Like the history of prisons is like the history of reform. So like the very first prison was actually built as a reform to like corporal punishment and capital punishment. So they built it. It was not great. The people who it was Quakers that had like the idea and they immediately were like, this isn't great. This is not a good idea. It's making people worse. Um, and they've been reforming prisons ever since to the turn of now it's like 2.3 million people incarcerated. Yeah. Doesn't really sound like reformation. No, No, not at all. (laughs) I'm actually in the process of trying to listen to the, uh, to, uh, Michelle Foucault's uh, punishment, I think it's punishment and crime or something like that, or discipline and punish, I believe. And it's about the prison system. And it's mostly about how over, you know, over the years, how we've de- dealt with, you know, people who we consider deviants, like from thieves to, to child molesters to murderers. Um, we used to do torture back in medieval times up until, you know, let's see like the 1800s and I believe like 1900 some I think it was like 1936 maybe or maybe even earlier than that was the last time France like guillotined somebody so we've come a long way in, in our whole society as far as like how we deal with the deviance of society but one of the things that um, I'm still waiting to kind of hear if Michelle, Michelle Foucault is going to talk about this is you know how is prison going to change people's behavior for the better? That's been the problem that we've had in um, society is, you know, we're not seeing a whole lot of reform. Um, like people are coming out and doing the same things over and over again. So is, is prison actually doing what its job is? The goal of the current system is like it's to break people. And while the state creates and maintains the conditions that keep people on the trajectory to prisons, um, that's why I think like prison abolition and anarchism and libertarian principles, they all like go pretty hand in hand. I don't think like safety's ever been the goal of the police state, but it's more of like a con meant to protect like interests of power. And it's been proven, I mean, like t- dozens of studies that prison isn't a deterrent for crime. And if it was, America would be like the safest country in the world. And it's not. Uh, we have like a 60% recidivism rate. And I think that's pretty like proof of it. If a company operated on the, under like those statistics, it would be shut down. It would never last. Yeah, that's, I wonder, that's kind of why I'm thinking is that the only reason why we keep these prisons in place is because there's people making billions of dollars off. Because it's not... It's not yeah. doing the job it's supposed to be doing. Oh, it's definitely and a racket. Too many, and I think we are also, we're putting too many people in prison that don't need to oh, be there. absolutely. Um, the, like, what, like, our current prison system does is, like, it takes the most, the most hated people. Like, the people we can all agree, like, you know, I mean, personally, it's, I'm a pacifist, so I don't really agree with it. But people, you're like, oh, I hate them. They can die. They could be tortured. I don't really care. They take those people and they create, like, all these laws and these exceptions. And they deprive them of just rights and their humanity. And then after people are okay with that, they bring in these people who are nothing like that, like nonviolent offenders, like Ross Albright. 
and mm-hmm. they apply them. They apply those same things to those people. Mm-hmm. Free Ross. And that's how we get the system that we have now. That kind of makes sense. I mean, like, that's how they slip everything past us, you know? Um, here, here, look at the shiny object. Like, this is for your safety. We're protecting you from X. In this case, we're protecting you from the murderers, the, the like, routine thieves. We're protecting you from the rapists. And, um, but also, because we kind of give over that freedom for like this uh, really a promise of security that we don't have and I don't think we've ever had and it's really like kind of an impossible promise to keep um, as like an outside source like the only real true I think means of defense are your own self-defense and um, so like it just keeps it's getting out we outsource that as people like individuals we outsource it to this group called the government that says we're going to protect you we've got we've got it all handled guys and um, but yeah, then you're right. They slip everybody else, people that you wouldn't even expect. And, you know, people that could easily be your neighbors, um, friends, family members get lumped right in there. And it's not really until that point, until somebody might be personally, um, personally affected or somebody like next in line, next, like very closely related to them. It's like, I mean, this is just how I kind of would see it is that. You don't really understand how oppressive the system is until you see it kind of acting upon somebody who's close to you. <laughs> Unless you get red pilled in a YouTube video, like watching, oh, like yeah. <laughs> watching cops yeah. beat. And our what's really sad is our culture death, so. is so obsessed with like cops and courts and criminalization that even when they're a victim of it, they're they'll still defend it. Yeah, really, like they get. You know, Stockholm get out syndrome. 10 years later for I mean, just a little bit of drugs and they're like, oh, you know, well, you know, we have to be safe. We can't just let criminals run the streets. And yeah, it's what, wild. What's a, con- what's a criminal? You know, it, it, nowadays to be a criminal takes almost nothing. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the thing that, that scares me is when you say when you start labeling people as a criminal. Seriously, well, that could mean that you're just, you know, sharing videos on <laughs> YouTube. Eating a sandwich at the subway. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's just anything that's just benign could turn into criminal activity to these people. So there's no, there needs to be, that's why I think that we need to just get rid of all of it. Because even if we were to scale it back, somebody's going to come in and and ruin it for the rest of the rest of us again. The The moment that we, it seems like every time I turn around, we have new laws that you know, put people behind bars. I mean, it's really sad that like the state has really limited our imaginations when it comes to holding people accountable, like especially public schools. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The school to prison pipeline is like real. Yes. But like, especially for like violent crimes. Um, I don't know if you guys know who John Faff is, but he has this book. I think it's called locked in. It was like a big influence in my like beliefs, but he talks about like the three pathways out of crime, which are like employment, marriage, and just like age. So like mm-hmm. in your twenties, you might get in bar fights and go to jail for five years mm-hmm. because you accidentally killed the guy that you're fighting with. You're not like a horrible person. You made a mistake. Like you're not a monster, but you're going to be thrown into j- when you're in your fifties, you're not going to do that. 
the same. I mean, unless I mean, some, I'm sure some people do, but that's not the that's not the rule. Um, but the solution, like through strike laws and throwing people into jail, like it ruins all three of those. And not completely, but it definitely. If you have a record, it's harder to get employed. If you're locked up during your prime, it's harder to find a, like a, a mate, I guess. Um, That's true. And those things I think are really important to keep in mind um, for like the alternatives, like the guy in the bar fight. Maybe he just needs to go to like some mediation or anger management or something like that. He doesn't need to be thrown in jail. Right. And then, like, the rest of it should be handled in a civil court. Yeah. Like, him and him versus that per, that man's family, like, the, the victim's yeah. family. It doesn't need to lead to jail time. Yeah, and it, I think that's the thing, is that we use jail time too much as a deterrent, and it's not really that much of a deterrent. It's not a deterrent. It's really just like a, it's like a signing of a check. <laughs> it's, it's a, it, like, it's a signing of a blank check. It's just like, all right, yep, this one's going to go in the system. Have at it. Well, in prison, they don't learn how to be, like, reformed. They learn how to survive in prison. And oftentimes, that means when they're getting out, they're made, they've made connections with people they may have never made connections with. Um, like, I guess, for example, my sister, she was really bad on drugs, and she got into a lot of trouble, and she went to girls' school. And she, like, made some mm-hmm. friends. And when she got out, she wanted to do, like, better. She was going to classes and all this other stuff. But one of the girls that she met in girls school lived in our town. I mean, she moved hours away to get away from all of that. And that girl connected with her and they got right back into the same things in like no time. Had she not, I mean, she didn't really want probably sobriety at that time, but had that girl not been there, she might have, had she not met her in girls school. Yeah. It may have been a totally different story. Yeah, that's one of that's another thing is I remember when I was in high school, I hung out with a bunch of the bad the quote unquote bad crowd. And I remember You did. Yeah, I know it's <laughs> shocking. What? But um one thing I was always annoyed with is that it would be like I knew my friends. Like their mom and dad would send them off to a boarding school and I'm like, You're just teaching him how to be smarter. That's all you're doing. He's just going to get, he's going to get out and he's going to be smarter at sneaking around and doing what he wants to do. You're not fixing anything. Was it like strict parents make for sneaky kids? I guess like the same could be applied to the government. But what do you strict think he's going to do when he goes to these group homes? They're all, he's going to hang out with a bunch of kids just like him. He's going to, mm-hmm. they're all going to teach each other their tricks, which is what happens. You know, every time. And I can't. And I mean, I thought it was funny because I was a teenager and I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm, I, I was into I'm into that kind of thing. I've always been into the dangerous guys. But, um, <laughs> you know, that that is just something that I, I don't understand about prison. It's like you put all these people in the same place and then you're going to put in somebody like Ross, for example, like you're talking about in there. And what do you think? I mean, you think he's going to learn like the importance of like respecting the state or (laughs) um, are you think he's going to learn that this the state is really just full of people making laws and putting people behind bars i mean what do you think (laughs) if you've read some of like his letters it seems like he's getting closer to prison abolition as well 
Yeah, I would some be. of the language in them. That would probably make sense. I think that a lot of prisoners really feel that way, actually. You know? Uh, definitely. Especially uh, the ones that are in there. Like, what kills me to this day is, like, there's still people in California that are behind bars for possession of weed. And why that? Why those people were never let go and let to go home and start their lives over, I still don't understand. I mean, we, we've legalized I, weed in, the, in that uh, whole state, and you still have people behind bars for weed. Why? Thanks, thanks, Kamala Harris. <laughs> so I'm always about like trying really, really hard to stay positive. So the one thing about California that you guys might like to hear, there is this organization Ooh. called Code for America, and they've set up. Uh, I'm not really, I'm not tech savvy, so I will, there's probably going to be people out there just hardcore sighing at my explanation. They set up some sort of software or like program to find these people who are in jail for things that are now legal. And they, the paperwork or something, I guess, might be hard. So they can get out. They just have to um, like file these paperwork, the paperwork. But some of them, they're not like they're not that kind of person. They're not going to know the law. So this Code for America, I mean, they have freed thousands of people already just finding them and helping them and leading them in that direction. So that's like really cool. Yeah, it's amazing. That's pretty amazing. That's good. No, I love hearing that <laughs> stuff like that. Because you're right. I mean, there's a lot of people who are in the system, and they're never going to even think about how it is that they would be able to free themselves even if it was like currently legal what they got in there originally because of and so like that's an amazing gift that like that makes me really in oklahoma and um like the spring i was just gonna ask you this (laughs) go in the spring they changed a law where like they changed the amount of marijuana that's criminalized and so like Uh, just a bit over 400 people. Oklahoma was like the most carceral state in the nation and they freed like 400 and some people. And now they dropped their prison, I think, percentage, like 1.7%, which is pretty awesome. Only (laughs) 1.7%. Yeah, it's really depressing. (laughs) Like, I'm happy. Like, I'll take any percent. But um, good God, like that's, that's astounding. Another like, I guess, gut punch. In Florida, I was reading today about how they restored voting rights for felons. And in Florida, like in Florida, mm-hmm. 1.3 million people had their voting rights restored. Wow. wow. Who, who, why is there 1.3 million felons in one state? Yeah. It's because like they've listed everything as a felon. Yeah, I was now. just like, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, what? Yeah. I mean, like... Like you were saying, or, you know, how we were talking about earlier, it's like most people will assume that somebody is a felon, like it's okay, well, that's obviously murder in the first degree and they're terrible people. And, but really, like, you'd be surprised at, as to what's an actual felony. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm another, <laughs> another prison reform, the mandatory minimums, like a lot of times people are only felons because of that. <laughs> Jeez. And you're like you were saying, like, that really is life affecting. You can't vote when you're a felon. Um, depending on the state, I mean, there, you might not be allowed to own a gun anyway. But I think in most states, if you have any kind of that serious of a criminal record, you can't own a gun, can't legally own a gun. Um, it's hard to get jobs. Like you're. Yeah. 
basically impossible. I was... And then you you made a good point. Like, if you're in prison during your prime, you're not going to find your mate. And, like, there's so much goodness that you're going to be able to create together and, like, evil combat together. And, like, if you, if you miss out on that opportunity to meet that person who's for you, what else is there? And there's already so many men that are in prison that they can't see their kids. They can't be the father figure in their families. You know, there's so many kids growing up with right. their dads. So it's just like a cycle, too, because some of these kids will end up having the same problems that their father had is that, you know, they'll end up making the same mistakes because they never had somebody to show them. I always think of it kind of like, um, like almost like blowback, but like with our policies here, like they they create these like ripples with their policies and it's not just, Mm -hmm. you can lock a guy up and it doesn't just affect that guy. It affects his family. It affects his community too. Like the upward economic mobility, like ability in their, their city. I mean, that's all affected too. It's really sad. No, that that's, that that's a really good analogy. And, um, the ripple effect is real. And like, you know, in the same, when you're thinking about, um, like when a country is at war, think about all that money that is going towards the war effort versus, you know, being spent at home, being invested at home. And so, you know, we're even missing one person. If you really value life, like even that one person being in jail for life or jail period, you're right. It really does affect the community and that person's missing from what otherwise would have been his life. And, you know, people make mistakes and people intentionally do really evil things and so you know i don't know what i'm trying to say but you know there's everything does have a reaction Mm -hmm. i can't really like i can't remember the exact number but i was talking with my friend natalie one day and we it was right around the time where they in new york they recently opened like plans they have plans to open four new prisons with the promise of closing rikers we all know that's never going to happen um yeah (laughs) So I was looking for their budget and I was like, oh my gosh, the Rikers budget is like, it was something huge, like in the billions. And she was like, oh, that's really high. And I was like scrolling further and I was wrong. And it was like triple that. It was like, oh my God. Honestly, maybe 800 billion. Like if you think about that money, like where it could go, it is just outrageous. Like the, the capital that's just being sucked up by the state. You know, and it's a it's a wonder that people like just the public really is in such a polarized state. People are so anxious and stressed and depressed and, you know, really at each other's throats. And it's like, I think, you know, it becomes a lot more tribal of an environment and of a, uh, you know, atmosphere when certain outside pressures are pushing, pushing, pushing on us. And I'd say like us being sucked dry (laughs) through our taxes and like going towards enormous sums in these budgets. Like that's, that's easily what's happening. Right. It's compounded with other, it's compounded with other things, but, um, that is definitely one of the factors. 
we're being stolen from. If you've listened, I don't know if you guys listen to the Bob Murphy show, but he did this episode love on- Love Bob. I love him so much. Love There's him. this episode he did on how a Rothbardian society would be pacifist. And he was talking about like all the ways that crime would be muted in a stateless society. And it was like, uh, there'd be like no boom bust cycles, you know, like making people poor and- all that other mm-hmm. stuff. There'd be like no mass disruptions of the family units, removing like one or both parents from the home for like punitive reasons or war. Mm-hmm. Uh, no drug laws, no minimum wage laws, looser restrictions on adoption, which I think if more people could adopt kids and more people like could, here's like the super Rothbardian thing, like sell their sell kids. Like if there was a market <laughs> for that. <laughs> This is the future libertarians want. I know. Um, And there's, like, no incentive to have kids you can't afford. And, like, just all these ways the state contributes to crime. And, like, I just think about the cost of government, like, beyond the national debt. It's just, and I personally, like, with absolutely no proof whatsoever, I think that, um, like, without the state, that mental illnesses and, like, psych issues that lead to like poverty and deprivation of all kinds and abuse would drastically be different too. It would just be handled different. I think school is a big part of the problem, like public schools. Prison. Mm-hmm. It's really just like mandatory daily child prison. Seeing all of this just destruction and death. But I mean, that doesn't, that's not, that can't be great for the human spirit. <laughs> no, it really can't. No. And I think it's, it's definitely all part of the decay. It's all by design. <laughs> It is, and or like at at worst it is, and at best it's just this incompetence that we the public let allow to continue, and um because I guess you know people are afraid that well we need the state to keep us safe like there's no other way who will build the roads <laughs> it's just a false sense of safety though because it's not like we were just saying it's not really keeping anybody safe because I mean we were just talking. Uh, earlier about how um well i don't want to say the i don't want to say the company but there's a company that's come out and they are heavily tied with um pedophilia and the elites Mm -hmm. starts at the d and if we mention their name we end up making people mad because there's some of our friends Mm -hmm. who love that company a lot but um what i don't understand i guess is you know you feel like you're safe but there's still people like that that are free and they're right there with your kids all the time. And just like, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to uh, go to that theme park. I mean, I, I again, I mean, I've yeah, been there I went but, when I was, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been a couple times, but I've, I've even told my husband, I was like, I have no desire to go to land for multiple reasons. <laughs> you said <laughs> <Okay>. the word. <laughs> Cam, Cam, just block that out. But yeah. <laughs> I think, like, one of the, (laughs) my knee-jerk reaction when people are like, what about, like, if you want to abolish prisons, what about the rapists and murders? And, like, my knee-jerk reaction is always like, well, first, take away their badges and get them out of Congress. Yeah. It's just like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Why do those, why do those (laughs) ones get away with it? That's what I don't, Like, they get a free pass. I I was just, that was the next thing I was going to talk about. So I was like, we, how many times have we heard on this in the news about a child rapist who gets like four months and then he's out. Mm-hmm. There's like, um, in this country, there's like, you get 
life in prison for building a website, but politicians can lie us into a war that kills thousands of our citizens and millions of citizens in the Middle East. And then we've got like 45,000 veterans that have kill, killed themselves since in like the last six years. And there's nobody in jail for that crime. But all these people like murder is bad. But here we have like leaders in this country who have done way worse. And are and are vying for more power all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. While we're on the subject of Congress being full of little uh, diddlers and whatnot, but uh, it's, you know, how many times have we heard about the millions of dollars in settlements that Congress has paid to, like, settle their fees from their sexual harassment lawsuits that they've been tangled in? Are they paying for that? No. We're mm-hmm. paying for that. So we pay for people to be professional, monopolized criminals. I hate that. I hate that so much. <laughs> I do too. It's uh, infuriating. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely. It's it's hard to not kind of sometimes be down in the dumps about it when you're I, that awake to like that that's the situation we're actually in. But, um, you know, if you're stressed, check out our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. On stress management. <laughs> On a more positive note, I guess, like, if you think of, like, politics as, like, a a lagging indicator of what really matters, you know, by the time politicians and the corporate media catch up, the bus is already, like, a hundred miles out of town. Um, This last, last week, this last election, these radical prosecutors were, like, they, like, and specifically in our friend Kamala Harris's old stomping grounds, Mm -hmm. the... The radical prosecutor that was voted in there, his dad is in prison for killing two cops. And the person that he won against was endorsed by Kamala, had a ton of institutional report. He ran on a platform. Is that what they call them? Yeah. Like a, yeah, yeah. a platform of he's not going to prosecute for drugs. He's not going to send people to jail for nonviolent gun crimes. He's not seeking bail for like a number of arrests he's like again his dad killed two cops and he won and um like if you think about in the 90s if a guy like that would have ran he would have been laughed out of town like it would have never happened and not just in california people like him were voted in but in very conservative states so i think despite the mass propaganda that we are just showered with every single day was like another thing I post a lot about. Yeah, right. People are starting to, I mean, if you look at like, go anytime a cop like brags about his drug bust, like go look at the comments, like they just get roasted. And I think that people are starting to like, it kind of almost made me tear up because I saw this, she was really old and she's like, you know, I've lived with mass incarceration my whole life and I'm ready for this to change. And I just thought, you know, people are starting to see the light. It's slow, but I think we are in this, like this arc of turnaround, one of the biggest civil rights abuses in our time. Yeah. Civil rights, not like worldwide. (laughs) It's like it's good to be uh, positive, and I do feel like there is a mass awakening, and you know it's hitting people with different subject matters first. Um, but I think, like you said before, it's all connected, and it all comes down to the same ideas. So 
you know, I will jump on board there and say I think things it might be darker before the dawn, but um, I right. do think that there's it, I think that we can only really go up. I mean, I know things can get a lot worse, but, you know, it's still going to have to be an upward, upward climb after that. I really like, um, so I, a lot of, uh, like the prison abolitionists that I follow on Twitter, they lean leftist. And I really like that they are constantly calling out like these carceral, (laughs) carceral, this is like what I call them, like carceral woke scolds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like the people who are, oh, you misgendered me, you need to go to jail. Like those types. Yeah. And I really like that they're getting a lot of resistance from people on their side, I guess. Which, those kind of people scare me. <laughs> but. <laughs> I mean, um, it's like something that like Scott Horton will say all the time, or maybe it's Tom Woods or both, but um, like we kind of have to go after our own side, you know, like us as libertarians or voluntarists, we're, we don't really have a side, but you know, we do have a side we might either lean more towards or can, depending on the day or subject could go, <laughs> could find their way in either camp, speak each other's language, but um, we kind of do have to fight our own quote unquote side just to kind of try to straighten them out and like let them see the light in the way that you might be able to expose it to them. I have seen, like, I guess, a rise in more, like, carceral libertarians, which that just drives me crazy. Like, pro-death penalty or, like, just violent, I guess. That's... But nice. I do like That's that... Contrary. Yeah. I do like, I guess, I don't know, maybe we can call them, like, the upper echelon. Like, Tom Woods and Walter Black and all those people, they're very, like, not that way, and they preach against it, and they have alternatives, and... Hopefully they will find their way to them and correct themselves because sometimes I'm just like, you are not representing us very well. Yeah. I th- I know that for me, I used to lean on the right a lot and I was definitely more pro death penalty for the longest time, especially for, you know, pe- people that were violent murders and, um, but that's how I always justified it. Well, we have to kill the murderers, right? But then you realize how often our justice system gets it wrong. And these people are accused of murder and they may right. not have even committed the crime. So just because they were convicted doesn't mean they're actually guilty. Yeah, again, it's another place where the state has monopoly on whether this person lives or dies. And we know just how corrupt and incompetent they can be so it's like take your pick your poison either way like they could be putting the and they do they have they still have innocent people on death row like waiting to be killed by the state in eight days rodney reed he's set to be executed and the evidence of his innocence is absolutely overwhelming but it's in the hands of one parole board like they have to be able to decide that they have a suspect they have a moat or they have like a, an alibi and they have all these people who have like confirmed his stories and he's still on death row. I signed the petition. So did I. <laughs> I know. And it's like, I feel like that's all I can do sometimes, but, um, eight days, we should be able to turn this episode around pretty quick. So we should link <laughs> to that here because I know like cer- certain petitions getting certain and enough attention, get in front of the right people. 
And I will say, I do appreciate um, that it seems like Trump seems reachable to some degree on this topic. Yeah. Like, depending on who kind of approaches him, I'll take it for what it's worth. And I think that's huge. I mean, who would have thought, who would have thought Kim and Kanye would be (laughs) helping Trump with prison reform, (laughs) you know? Seriously. I was really excited, like, the other day when, um... (laughs) That guy with the small face, like, I don't remember his name. He, like, <laughs> tweeted, like, a really pro-Ross thing. Who's the guy with the small face? Charlie Kirk. Yeah, that's him. Charlie oh, Kirk. Small face. Okay, I got it. I can see that. He does small face. <laughs> <laughs> Memes roll my life. I am. I think I'm never going to see it otherwise again. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, that's exciting, because, like, you know, he's... Really? He's got a big following, big platform, and, um, you know. Over a million people I looked. I was like, how many people saw this tweet? <laughs> well, that's good. More of that. Yeah. Do we want to say anything further about cops or bitch about that a little uh, more? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like five whole episodes. Yeah. <laughs> that, I know. <laughs> I know. Like, that's like an ex- existential question. yeah well i guess what might be an easier question is um so if people are people for some reason are living under a instagram rock and haven't heard of you and don't follow you um they should but so like want to tell everybody where they can find you and your work oh yeah uh you can first find me on instagram empress of me and twitter has the same handle i'm less active over there but I do, uh, like, monologue a lot. <laughs> um, and then you can, I just started, I just started, like, on the Emilisha podcast, which is on Spotify and YouTube. Nice. Okay. We will link. I've been on there, like, six episodes or something. Honestly, haven't listened to it yet, but um, definitely <laughs> want to check it out. It's fun. <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm sure that we will probably get together to talk about more because this is an ongoing issue, I think, and it's important to talk about. Absolutely. Definitely. Share our podcast if you like it. Um, follow us on Instagram, at Voluntary Vixens. Like Empress, we're less active on Twitter, but we're there. And Jesse's really doing a doing some effort to, <laughs> to slay some Twitter, <laughs> Twitter nerds. Yeah. So, at, at Vixens Voluntary. Um, if you'd like us enough to actually, like, voluntarily give us any of your hard-earned money, unlike the government, we'd love donations. So you can find us on Patreon. Um, it's vixens underscore voluntary. You should be able to search and find us. We've, we've, got, a, we've got a patron, so somebody's found us despite our inability to <laughs> incisively <laughs> talk about how to donate money to us. We're pathetic. <laughs> All right. Um, Thanks again, Empress, for joining us. Can't wait to see you on the Instagram floor. And <laughs> in the meantime, hope you and everybody else listening keeps it sane, keeps it peaceful, keeps it voluntary. Bye.
Ross Ulbricht is serving a double life sentence without parole for all nonviolent charges for creating a website. Please help free this peaceful man. Go to freeross.org and sign and share the petition.